Welcome to the Seed World Pro Podcast, where seed industry professionals get the knowledge, tools, and peer support they need to grow their businesses and careers. I'm your host, Michelle Klinker. Welcome to the Seed World Pro Power Talk. Uh, if you're catching this on your mobile, then welcome to the Seed World Pro Podcast, where seed industry professionals get the knowledge, tools, and peer support they need to grow their businesses and careers. I'm your host, Michelle Klieger, and today I'm joined by Dr. Alan Gray. Hi, Dr. Gray. How are you? I'm great, Michelle. How are you? Great. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Dr. Gray serves as the Executive Director for the Center for Food and Agriculture Businesses and is the Director of the MSMBA program at Purdue University. He also holds the position of Lando Lakes Chair in Food and Agriculture. And the reason that he is here today is because his research interests include agribusiness, strategic planning, and decision making. So we're going to dive into some of those topics. Great. Um, so I will let you get started um, and then interrupt if I have some questions, if you don't mind. Sure, no problem. So I think, uh, you know, the main topic we want to talk about today was really around the idea of aligning strategy and talent. You know, one of the things I think is important for us to recognize increasingly in agriculture is that the sort of the difference well, let me back up a minute and say, you know, I do study strategy. And the question of strategy is almost is always about why is it that some firms in an industry outperform other firms in the same industry, right? And there are a number of reasons you could think for that around, you know, they have a different set of assets. They have a, a set of, a, a, you know, geographical locations that are a benefit or or whatever the case may be, but what you normally, what it boils down to increasingly today is that by and large in agribusiness, uh, our products perform roughly the same. You know, some brands will argue, oh, my brand outperforms that brand, but by and large, if we're talking about seed, for example, you know, uh, if you don't have corn hybrids that produce, you don't sell seed. So the people that are in the seed industry, the seed companies that are there, the seed brands that are there, they generally perform. So it's a little hard to say one company outperforms another because their products are simply better. Some products are better. Some, some, some hybrids may be better in some cases, but then your competitor has hybrids that are better in other cases. So that's not so uh, satisfying to us with respect to explaining why strategy, why one firm outperforms another. What often happens to us, the research tells us this, is that it often boils down to talent, that, that a company that is outperforming in the industry, generally it's because they have better talent. Right. So then the question would be, OK, if I'm in it, from a strategy perspective, then as a company wanting to compete in the industry, I ought to think about what is my strategy for talent? That's how I'm going to differentiate myself in the future is can I have uh, better talent available to me? So that's uh, one of the places that I spend a lot of my time researching is these uh, areas that differentiate companies and and thinking a bit about talent and how the strategy of the company and the talent of the company need to align with each other is one of the core focuses that I have. And, and, uh, and one of the things that I teach in a program that we do in the Center for Food and Ag Business called Managing Talent to Win. We have uh, uh, these, these um, this circle, if you will, that uh, sort, sort of uh, is in the center of that is sort of the culture of the company and all of the pieces that go into the puzzle with respect to what it takes to 
have a solid talent management strategy that creates a culture of winning and ultimately positions you to be successful. And one of the things that I try to do in there is help people tie together this idea of how to align strategy and talent together. Thank you. A helpful yeah. introduction, and the uh, series that we're putting together with Purdue actually does cover that whole circle um, that you referenced, so I'll include that link in the notes for anybody that hasn't seen it yet. Okay, good, great. Well, we think, uh, you know, the way we think about this is that uh, uh, amongst the whole uh, sort of gambit of pieces of the puzzle that, that, that um, you do in terms of uh, managing talent, uh, it starts from this ability to align strategy and talent. And so strategy to me boils down to, to um, uh, uh, sort of five key questions, right? So those questions are, what is our winning aspiration? Okay. Uh, where do we play? What's the, the playing field that we're going to compete in? Uh, how, do we, how are we going to win? What's our, what's our winning proposition, if you will, to that marketplace? What talent is it going to take to win in the way that we want to win, right? And then what metrics do we need to be measuring to make sure that we get there? Those are the five basic questions of strategy. And one of those uh, pieces is uh, around talent is the capabilities of the company in order to carry out its winning strategy. So uh, what we want to start with then when we think about the idea of aligning strategy and talent is thinking about the capabilities of the company. Right. What, what are the capabilities that the company must have in order to be able to win in that marketplace? Uh, a lot of people make fun of me for this, but uh, I'm a big fan of the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Dallas Cowboys aren't necessarily the greatest example because they haven't won the Super Bowl now in 20 something years. But, uh, you know, clearly the winning aspiration is to win the Super Bowl, right? Uh, the playing field actually matters. Of course, it's a football field, but they play in the NFC East. That matters to them because the NFC East means that at least uh, at least three times a year, you're going to play up in the Northeast, New York, Philadelphia, uh, uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, and it's highly likely that's going to be in the wintertime, which means it could be bad weather because all three of the stadiums they have to go up there and play in are in open air stadiums. So because of that, the Cowboys decide the way they want to win, which is the third question of strategy. So, so what do you want to win, the Super Bowl? Where do you play? Well, mostly in the NFC East. You play in a lot of places, but mostly in the NFC East. And the way, uh, the way they want to win is dictated to some degree about the places they have to play. And so they want to win by running the football. That's their most important way that they want to try to win. Okay, well, what are the capabilities that they got to have to win, uh, uh, to, to win in that way with running the football? They have to be able to block well and they have to be able to run the football well. Uh, and of course, their defense needs to be able to stop people so they can get the football back, but they're not very good at that part. <laughs> they're not good. But, but the point is, the capabilities we have to have, we got to block and run. Okay. So then, uh, if we know those are the capabilities we have to have to win, then we need a talent that can do that. So, what's the talent we need to get? We go to a football draft and we draft offensive linemen who can block and a running back who can run. Right. Those are. Uh, uh, that seems like a simple concept, but that's really the way you think about it. What are the capabilities we need to win in the way that we want to win? And therefore we go and draft this way. Now, the Cowboys have gotten lucky in recent times. They have a reasonably good quarterback right now, but he wasn't part of their strategy originally because they're trying to run the football. So the quarterback they have playing now was drafted in the fourth round. He's not a first round draft pick. And if you're the Green Bay Packers, 
they like to win. They like to win by by passing the football. So what do they do? They have a number one draft choice as their quarterback. I think because they go and get the talent to do what they want to do, which is to throw the football better. So that's that's the way we kind of, if you take a sports analogy, that's the way I think about this idea. We need a line strategy uh, and talent together, and it starts from understanding what are the capabilities that the company needs to have in order to win in the way it wants to win. Okay, so if I relate that to a seed company, then I might say, well, if I am one of the big four in the seed industry, so I'm Bayer or Syngenta uh, or Corteva, BASF, for example, the way I really want to win in that marketplace probably has to do with the development of traits and genetics, right? So there I have a set of capabilities around R&D, research and development, and I need to think about strategies where I align by getting good talent in that R&D space. Now, if I am uh, a, a seed brand company, retail uh, seed company uh, that's selling seed, but mostly sourcing its seed and gene- its uh, traits and genetics from corn states at Bayer or Greenleaf Genetics at Syngenta, <coughs> excuse me. I I have a totally different talent strategy that I need to pursue than what um, uh, a bear or a Corteva need to pursue because my winning game, my way to win is not with R&D. It is. It's more the development side, right? Because somebody else is going to research and create the traits and the genetics. I might have a breeding program that's really important to create the particular hybrids that are best for my a specific environment that I want to produce. And so I might need talent that's like their R&D in some ways, but it's more breeding talent than it is maybe bench science talent, as an example, because my capabilities are more around tailoring those hybrids for my specific geography, if you will. And then I really have much more that I need to do with respect to talent as it relates to particularly in the, in, in regional seed companies, I might think of it as particularly uh, around selling, right? A Syngenta or a Corteva or a, a Bayer might think of it more in terms of talent with respect to marketing because they're broad acre, across large, large geographies. And so it's more of a marketing exercise that they might need to be good at as opposed to in, in a regional seed company, I, I might think of it more as selling. I got, my, my go-to-market strategy has a lot more to do with my uh, local representatives and the relationships I create with the individual farmer becomes a more important set of skills or talents that I need to be able to have in my company. I don't know, Michelle, does that make sense to you that with the way we sort of think about what's the cre- what's the capabilities I need to carry out the strategy that's going to allow me to win is what tells me what I need to do with respect to talent. It makes a lot of sense, uh, both for the the football analogy, uh, not a Cowboys fan, um, <laughs> but it relates as well. I grew up a Dolphins fan. They play a lot in the Northeast, and I agree. People like to see football in the snow, so the season tends to be weighted that way. Um, but it really, it makes sense on, one, where you put your resources, Um and making sure that's important, but two, making sure that you have enough resources, right? Every company has a fixed amount of resources available. So you're not, back to the draft picks, you can't have eight number one draft picks. So you're going to have to have some 
number ones and some, you know, round four or five draft picks. And so having that strategy and making sure that you're using, understanding where you need people and then, and then aligning your resources to fit that makes a lot of sense. That's right. And, and in fact, uh, that, that sort of uh, concept around trade-offs, because we have, you know, nobody's flush with uh, all the resources in the world. Right. So you have a limited set of resources. And when you have resources, a limited set of resources, you have to decide where to put them. And that means put them in some places, not in other places is a set of trade offs. From a strategy perspective, I would tell you that if you had unlimited resources, you don't have trade offs. And if you don't have trade offs, don't need a strategy. There's no reason for strategy if you don't have trade offs. Right. Strategy is there because you have trade offs because you can't do everything. So you got to make choices. And that's where once you understand from a strategy perspective, these are the capabilities I got to have. I got to be really uh, uh, world class at selling or I got to be world class at marketing or I got to be world class at supply chain management or I've got to be world class at, at uh, R&D. Uh, you know, what, where are the places that in order to win in the way we want to win in the marketplace, we have to be world class at. That's the place where we want to be able to put our resources. OK, well, if we think about resources as it relates to talent, then we start to think about this. OK. But what are the most important positions that we have that impact those capabilities the most, right? So one of the challenges to talent is, and, and this is a real a challenge for us in the industry, is that you should start. So this is the professor, right? I get to say you should, right? Because that's not the practical side. It's the optimal side. You should start from what are our positions in our company that impact our company's capabilities the most. When I say that, that's as opposed to starting with who are the people we have and then how do we structure our company because we have this set of people. So you should start from what are our positions that we have and you define it as uh, A positions, B positions, and C positions, A positions being those that have the most impact on your ability through your capabilities to create wealth and reduce costs. Which ones have the most impact on that? Those are what we'd call A positions. B positions are the positions that support the A positions in getting the things and impacting that wealth or reducing that cost for uh, the company, right? And then you have your C positions. C positions are your, uh, it sounds derogatory, but it's not meant to be. It's rank and file. We, we all have to have lots of people. I mean, there are lots of troops that have to get the job done on a day-to-day -day basis, right? But they're, they're less strategic in their nature and more tactical in their nature. What we're talking about here is strategic talent. And position A is the most strategically important talent that impacts that capability. Position Bs are the ones that are the most important at supporting that position A at getting that job done, right? And I say that from the standpoint of, of uh, saying positions first without personalities involved, okay? So that we're structuring the company in a way that says this is the most important thing we can do, uh, most important way for us to win is through this strategy and these are the positions we need to be able to have to do that well. Now, once we know those positions, then we say, okay, who are our people we have and who are our a people, our B people and our C people. Our A people are the ones that have the real talent, the real capabilities to lead, to, to drive, to, to, to create uh, the, the levels 
that we have. And we want to make sure that we take those people that are A people that have the highest upside to them and the highest uh, sort of drive to them uh, and make sure we put as many of those A type people in A positions as possible. And then we have our B people who are risers, who have some uh, runway ahead of them, can be developed, could become the leaders of the future. We want them in the B positions that are getting them ready to eventually become the A players in the A positions, right? And then we have our C players that we have uh, a good long-term career opportunities for those C players as well, right? But they're not headed towards A positions. They're the ones who are going to do the job on a day-to-day basis, and and they're critically important to us as well. I don't want to make it uncritical, but the key strategically is to make sure that I got as many A players in A positions as possible and as many B players in the B positions as possible. And what we find is that when we work with companies uh, that uh, they struggle with this and they struggle with it, probably uh, part of it is practically practical is that, well, but I got the people I've got. So it's not like I get to start with a clean slate and say, I'm going to define a set of positions and go hire a bunch of people. Uh, I have the people I have, right? So there's always this sort of give and take between the right kind of position, the right kind of people, how do I get them to fit? What we find is that more often than not in uh, smaller seed companies, typically family seed companies, right, there are a number of family members involved in the business. This is even more difficult because I've got my sons and daughters that are, you know, reality. Some might be A players, some might be B players, and some might be C players. But the tendency is to want to put them all in A positions. But strategically, that's not a very good idea. Right? Strategically, no, I need to figure out if I have, first, do I have anybody within my family who's an A player, a legitimately an A player, put them in A positions, right? What, what, and it is quite possible. What if I only have within my family B players? But I have A positions that are critically important. Well, as the leader of the family business, do I have the fortitude, if you will, perhaps the permission, but at least the fortitude to hire somebody from the outside, to go and hire an A player to fill our A position so that the company has its long life to it, so that our B player family members can grow over time to become a players uh, uh, that might fill some of those A positions, as an example, right? So we run into this a lot in these smaller uh, uh, family-owned businesses where it becomes uh, much more difficult to align the strategy and the talent because we sort of have this talent pool that we're, we we already have, and we got to try to figure out how to work within that as, as well as try to align with the particular strategy that we have, right? Does it make oh. a pyramid? Like the A's, are there are fewer A's and then a few more B's and then a lot of C's? Yes. Okay. Yes, 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 absolutely. There's only a, so you're going to think of this in terms of like, um, you know, you're at best going to have probably three to four A positions. Uh, because you really, in a company, can only effectively focus on two to four Uh, core competencies or core capabilities that differentiate you in the marketplace. Again, the same thing we talked about earlier, Michelle, you can't, you only got a limited set of resources, Mm -hmm. right? 
So, you know, I can't be all things to all people. And because of that, I only have to have, I'm going to win in the marketplace based on a few certain set of capabilities that I'm going to really build my strengths around. That's what, uh, you know, it's like uh, a a national football league uh, team, football team. It's unlikely they're going to win by passing and throwing better than by world-class passing offense and world-class passing uh, running offense and a world class pass defense and a world-class run defense they're, they're going to run out of resources to do you can't do that you i mean the very nature of the way they're set up so that they have uh salary caps and and all these uh uh trades and 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 uh, uh players become free agents after a particular time and and the draft order changes because if you are a winner last year you draft last and if you're a loser last year you draft first but doesn't work for the Miami Dolphins or the Dallas Cowboys very well but supposedly that means that you get you're, you're constantly in an opportunity to improve your team and everybody else is constrained and nobody has just unlimited resources where suddenly they can be the dominant team that does everything so everybody has to be able to make those trade-offs so now when you think about that then that says okay well then you, you because you have to make trade-offs I'm going to make two or three choices say these are the capabilities we're going to have that'll be world-class better than everybody else if i only have three or the three of those i don't have three a players or four a players to to drive those capabilities and then i got the set of b's that support them and then we got all the c's surrounding that right and that's why you'll see um you know a a a, a seed company for example uh in in the in the big four may put on the seed side of the business a tremendous amount of money into uh, um, the the um, head of research and development. Right? They put a ton of talent, uh, a ton of resources, money into hiring the very best uh, world-class from around the globe uh, uh, head of R&D to drive their research and development on their genetics and, and traits business, right? Uh, because they're going to try to win in that way. Versus uh, a local seed company, of course, the overall the resources are less than say a Syngenta or a or a, or a Bayer, but but they may put their heaviest set of uh, resources around a sales manager or a marketing manager, depending on how or what they would typically do would be uh, put a lot of resource around a sales and marketing manager who's going to who has real influence over the ability to drive sales for that regional seed company through their marketing and the development of a uh, kneecap to kneecap sales team, uh, generating that relationship with that farmer, right? Uh, in, in relative terms, they're gonna put a ton of money behind uh, that, but it's but it's that one person, right? And then the team of people that, that supports that person that's gonna, um, where those resources are gonna be put, okay? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so you're absolutely right, it's a pyramid. A uh, few A players, more B players supporting them, and then C people, lots of C people getting the work done on a day-to-day basis. And it sounds like, especially in those small companies, but maybe for everyone, that you almost need someone above that pyramid that is setting the structure or the uh, strategy to figure out which direction to go and make those decisions and evaluate who the players are. Yeah, that's the uh, uh, usually the most senior team of executives that's going to do that, and and depending upon the size of the firm, that might be one person, right? That might be the the owner uh, uh, of the of the family seed business. The owner is the one who makes that decision, or the owner in this in the 
and their second in command or whoever that may be, or uh, uh, the CEO uh, may do that, or it may be uh, in a few of the smaller seed companies that I've worked with. Um, you know, it's usually like a team of three. A team of three is deciding where their talent is going to be put uh, among, uh, beyond them, and they are typically the owners, right, who are going to make that decision. Now, if we're, if we're talking about um, uh, very large companies, you know, the, the, the bears of the world, then, then we're talking about the board of directors is going to be part of this because they're helping decide who the CEO is. The CEO then is going to work uh, to help define uh, with us, with a chief financial officer, probably, and a, and a VP of marketing and sales, where are we going to put our resources and what's our talent going to be built on, right? That's typically uh, how, how that would happen in a, in a bigger, more complicated company. But yes, it's it's a set of people sort of at the most senior or ownership type of level that ultimately sort of set that structure uh, on the team. The Dallas Cowboys, unfortunately, their owner thinks he's the general manager. And so he's the one who sort of sets that. And he's not very good at it. Right? I've that's heard one that's place. A constant back and forth that is. Right. That's one place where they. Directionless issues. Or that's one place where they could use somebody above that one to sort of say, hey, we need to reset the structure here. And that's not happening. Uh, well, and that's where personalities come in to your point, right? I yeah. mean, where, yeah. you know, who your people are, it's not just what they can accomplish, but their personalities and fitting into that structure. Right. Uh, absolutely. Their, their, their personalities, their ability to be a good leader, uh, their ability to separate family from business, uh, but be able to also blend them. At the same time, those are talents, those are tough talents to have, even at the very highest level of the company, in order to be able to set the rest of the structure so that it can be, uh, you know, so that it can allow that company uh, the freedom to grow at its highest level, at its most successful level, because it has the right talents in the right places at the right time. Right. Um, a lot of what we've talked about on that Purdue wheel um, is, I think the center was culture, right? And, and we've talked a bit about retaining talent. So it sounds like if you have people in the right places, they might find you would be more successful. Um, but I assume that there's also an element that they feel better in their position, right? Whether you're a B and you see that growth or you're, you know, not an A person in a C position so that it seems to help on the employee side as well, too. That yeah, yeah. The key, the I mean, I think one of the things that it does, if you go through the process that we talk about here of trying to think about capabilities in the right positions and then the right people in those right positions, what 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 you what you, often we see happen is that people start to figure out that's why that person seems so frustrated. They're in a they're in the wrong position for what their influence capabilities are, and we can see it now. And we know, hey, we got to get them into a position where they can have the kind of influence they're capable of having, where we've got them in the wrong spot right now, right? So, you know, I, I, the way I teach this doesn't come directly from that book, but it's, but it's related, right? The book Good to Great talks about this, right? When they talk about, uh, it's not just about getting the right talent on the bus and the wrong talent off the bus. It's also about getting the right talent in the right seats on the bus, and many people have started to figure out, hey, we got to get good talent into the company, but we haven't yet uh, completely figured out how we get people in the right seats on that bus. Because when we get them in the right seats, that's when they're happiest and the company really begins to take off because we've got everybody in the right spots. They see their path forward. They understand their impact on the company and they're, they're moving in the, in, in the uh, uh, everybody's rowing in the same direction, if you will, right? 
So sometimes we need a bit of musical chairs. Yes, 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 we do. We don't want to re we don't want to re-engineer or reorganize for reorganization's sake. Mm. Uh, what we want is alignment. And we want to take a critical look at whether or not our strategy we're trying to win with and our talent are aligned. Right? And if we if we can do that well, that's when we have the greatest chance for success. The companies that you've worked with, do they have a hard time making the strategy, implementing it both? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the answer is both. The answer is clearly both. They struggle with the development of the strategy itself, and uh, they also struggle with then uh, implementation. And the question is, the question might be, where would you put the weight on which one do they struggle the most with? I suspect that uh, uh, they would tell you they struggle the most with implementation. Uh, as the strategy guy, I would probably tell you, I think they struggle the most with the ability to articulate exactly what it is the strategy is they're trying to pursue. And therefore, they can't implement because they haven't yet figured out exactly the direction that they want to go. There's, you know, there's something about this, Michelle, this problem of the fact that strategy is about trade-offs and that most people hate trade-offs. Right. Because if you do this, you got to give up that. And particularly in our industry, you know, agriculture has been sort of the roll up your sleeves and, and put your boots on and go to work and let's just get it done and do the work and we'll just do it. And, and, and uh, not about saying, well, we're going to do this, but we're not going to do that. And, and increasingly, you know, I think people are discovering that, yeah, I mean, you can't just roll up your sleeves and do it. You've got to make clear choices about what you will do and what you won't do. Uh, if people, if people are understanding that, but still struggling with the ability to do it, to say, to make the choices. And if we can't make the choices, then it becomes really hard to implement. Because now I've got a strategy that's sort of trying to do all things, and now I need talent in all areas. Well, I can't get, I can't afford talent in all areas, right? And so I get the talent I can get, and then the next thing you know, um, I got talent in 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 this area and talent in this area, and those two talents are going in different directions, but it doesn't align with the strategy anymore. And, and we see that way too often that that we just don't have everybody rowing in the same direction because we haven't we haven't clearly defined the direction. That makes sense. In the beginning, I when you were talking, I was thinking about um, that I recently talked with an event planner and it was, you know, how to put on a farm, the field days over the summer. And most people are not, you know, event planners. And, you know, the advice was make a list of everything you want, get quotes on what that will cost you, and then go back and figure out what you actually need. Um, and so I think that's interesting in using your resources, it applies the same way, but you took it a step farther on if you pick, I need these two separate things and it pulls your company in two different ways. That's not necessarily going to happen in a field day, unless you've got a huge media, you know, circus and you've got trials that are getting stepped on, you know, whatever it is, but it's, it seems to be so much more than just the limited resources, but actually making the bus go one direction and not two or six yeah it's about it's about uh, prioritization of impacts before you just uh, fit a budget right so you know in um in economics oh lord the boring economics we think about the idea of the objective function what's our objective we want to maximize the objective but it's subject to a set of constraints budget constraints time constraints uh, materials constraints and we're trying to maximize that objective, but 
the thing is that more often than not, what really happens to us is that we have multiple objectives we're trying to accomplish, more than one. And now the challenge is, okay, uh, I actually can't maximize all of the objectives. So uh, then I have, to, I have to instead prioritize the objectives, that is put a weight. This objective is this important, this objective is this important, this objective is this important, and we've got to do that first, and then we decide, okay, now the budget is tight, so therefore we need to allocate this much to this part of the event or this much to this part of the event, and I decide that allocation based on my priority of which objective is more important to me and, and, and not let the budget drive the objective decision. Figure out which objectives I want to accomplish first in, our, in what I've been talking about today, uh, the way, what strategy, what direction I want to go first, which, uh, which, and then which ones of those capabilities are the most important. I'm waiting the objectives. And then now let's figure out the constraints with respect to how much money I can spend on salaries and where are the A players going to be, where are the B players going to be, and so forth and so on. That's the way that I like to think about it anyway. First thing, weight the objectives. Second thing, allocate the resources. Thank you. I um, That really pulled it all together for me. Um, I We are beginning to run out of time. I have to say this has been a really interesting conversation even as you began to veer into the economics um and i want to know if there's any other things we missed that you wanted to touch on or um yeah any final thoughts you know i think i just want to reiterate to people that you know i think the research is pretty strong here this idea that what makes one firm outcompete another uh, or outperform another in a marketplace. It's all about uh, resources and capabilities, ultimately. It's what we call a resource-based view of the firm. That's what differentiates winners from also rands in a marketplace. It's, it literally is that. But it, those resources and capabilities mostly boil down to talent. Right? And if we can understand how to, how to acquire uh, the right talent at the right time to develop them, hold them accountable, get them engaged in the winning uh, uh, aspirations that we have in the company, that's where we're going to differentiate ourselves. And that's one of the things we believe in in the center most is that uh, we want to help uh, agribusiness companies uh, help their talent get the most uh, out of their skills and abilities. That's what we try to do. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. It's good, good to visit with you. You too.